Good evening, everyone. It's uh, good to be with you guys. And uh, I had this awkward moment when Ross had agreed someone like they could be your future spouse. And I was hugging his wife. <laughs> it's, I said, unlikely. It's not... Anyway, I don't want to say anything more than that. Um, anyway, uh, on that note, we're going to continue our series, uh, our But God series, But God, Tales of Grit and Grace. Was anyone here last week for Sandesha's story? Wasn't it an amazing, amazing story? If you haven't, if you weren't here, you can go online, you can listen to it. It's this phenomenal story about a man who, uh, really, I suppose, Jesus pursued him for uh, a long time, for for a couple of decades, really. And eventually he got to this point where he said yes to Jesus. But what that meant for him is that it meant that his wife was going to leave him, which she did. And it meant that he was going to lose his business because it was a family-owned business, which he did. And he got kicked out of his home, which he did. And so he literally went from being a successful business guy with a family to being single uh, and homeless because he said yes to following Jesus. And, um, and you hear that story, and then, you know, fast forward three years, and he's now the owner of the Roti and Cha uh, restaurants. There's a couple of them now. They're looking to go into three more locations. And this extraordinary success, and that's what we call a but God moment. It's like his life was looking like this, but God intersected and turned that whole situation around. And that's really what this series is about. But uh, what I'm going to speak a little bit about today is, you know, there's that period before God comes through. Like if you had bumped into Sandesh when he was just homeless and living in his car and showering at his gym and earning 8,000 rand a month and not having a place to live, if you had met him then, I wonder what you would have said to him or I wonder what you would have thought because it's kind of like, yo, you said yes to following Jesus and this is where your life turned up, how it turned out, this is what happened in your life. I mean, could Je- is this how Jesus looks after his people who choose to follow him? Because in that moment, right, God hasn't come through yet and he doesn't have that but God story. And every time there is a but God story, there's the time before, before he comes through when you're wondering, yo, this could go either way. Okay. And that's why it says, but God tales of grit and grace, because in that period, you need grit, this gritty faith and God's grace to hold you and keep you through before you arrive at your but God moment. And I reckon there's a bunch of people in different areas of your life where you're sitting in that season. It's like you're waiting on God to come through and do something amazing, but you're here, you know, you don't, you're not on stage yet sharing the story with what God did. You're sitting there going, oh, I hope he does. And how do you navigate that situation? How do you live in that situation and have faith uh, for that situation? So that's what today's a little bit about. Um, have you ever met someone who just inspired you, a story of faith that inspired you? Uh, I remember my parents used to do family devotion for different seasons of our life. Uh, and that's like in the morning, like we'd eat breakfast and then they'd like tell us a Bible story or they'd read from our daily living, or they tell us a story, and mostly I was just like in a rush because we had to leave for school about 10 minutes after breakfast, and I had neglected to do anything to prepare myself to get out the house until breakfast, you know, so I was mostly saying, hey, you better finish, and I'm going to go do all this stuff, Um, but there was this one morning that they told a story, they read a story about a man, and uh, and it's probably about 30 years ago for me now, and it's still in my head, so it really left a kind of indelible mark on me. It's a story of a Christian man, and he was walking to work one day, like he always did, and I think he lived 
do about 200 years ago, and it was London. I remember picturing that in my mind. Uh, and he was walking to work one day, and he was walking over a bridge, over a river, and there was a little girl, she was about five or six years old, standing by herself on the bridge. And he thought, this is kind of weird. So he said to her, you know, got chatting to her, and said, little girl, why are you standing here? And this little girl went on to explain that during the night, her mother had died, but before she died, she told her, go and stand on such and such a bridge and wait there until Jesus comes for you. And so this man who was a Christian man, he took her hand and he said, Jesus has come. And he began a lifelong work with orphans. He started an orphanage, and that was his first orphan that, that he just thought, I'll be Jesus in the situation. And I remember as this, little, as this kid listening to this story and going, I, I wonder what I would have done. You know? Like, still, I wonder what I would have done. Because I know what a lot of you would have done. It's like, yo, I need to phone Ross. Quick. Because he knows people that knows people, and maybe God's got an orphanage for him and Amy because they're pretty good with kids. And, you know, like, yo, this, Ross, this is serious for you, you know, as opposed to this is serious for me, and my faith has me in this place where I can, in a moment, make a decision that's going to change the course of your life. And, uh, you know, I wonder, I wonder to myself, what kind of man was this, and what kind of faith was that, and could I ever be like that? I actually went and I did research um, to try and find the story online. You think with the Google they'd find it, but I couldn't. I, I, I couldn't actually find it. I don't know who it was, but it kind of reminds me of another guy who is a bit of a hero of mine called George Mueller. Uh, this is a picture of George Mueller. How's that smile, at? Charming, this guy. Handsome guy. Uh, this guy uh, raised ten thousand over ten thousand orphans during his lifetime. He ran a church, he started orphanages, and he started schools to educate 120,000 people, you know, just on the side. Um, and he, he has an amazing thing about him. He, he never solicited funds. He never asked people for money. He only ever asked the Father to provide. That was the business, the, the, the fundraising strategy God gave him. Just pray. And so that's what he does. And he has a story. I want to read a, a little bit of a story, um, uh, from an account of just one day in his life. So the children are dressed and ready for school, but there is no food for them to eat. The house mother of the orphanage informed George Mueller. George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and waited. Can you imagine this? Because you know there's that awkward moment, right? Sit down, let's say, Grace, okay, we're just going to wait here now. And George knew God would provide food for the children as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you. I'll bring it in. Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. He asked George if he could use some free milk. Apparently the baker heard God's voice and the milkman didn't, so he just had to have a broken cart. <laughs> But God works in mysterious ways. George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk. It was just enough for the, th for the 330 children. And that was just one day in his life. 10,000. So many of us, we, we struggle to have faith just for us. He had faith for 10,000 more. The amazing thing about George Mueller is he wasn't always like this. He, he actually grew up in Germany, and he was at Bible school uh, where he gambled a lot, uh, drank a lot, and used to mock Christians. And that's where he started. And so you wonder how this George, because that George Mueller, more, more of you can identify with. You know, it's like I can understand that guy, the gambling, drinking, mocking person. But the guy who becomes feeding 10,000 orphans, I don't understand that. But here's the thing is, how does that guy become that guy? 
What happened in his life? How does, and here's really the question of today is, how does faith come? And how does faith grow? And how do we build faith and grow in faith? Because here's the thing is, is faith is the whole deal. I need an iPad. I can have faith for an iPad. Faith is the whole deal. We know that the New Testament generally speaks about followers of Jesus as believers. We are defined by faith. We're saved by faith. We're kept by faith. We mature in faith. We enter into eternity by faith. We're healed by faith. We're delivered by faith. We're made whole by faith. We receive the Holy Spirit by faith. We work miracles by faith. And we move mountains by faith. Romans 1.17, for in it, that's the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So the moment you become a Christian, you start in faith, and you are in faith, because it's from faith to faith, so for the rest of your life, you are walking by faith until you die. And the whole idea is that faith grows, it doesn't decrease. This is the starting point, because the just, those who have been made just or righteous by Jesus, we live by faith. See, I remember at the beginning parts of, of my, my walk with Jesus where it felt like it took so much faith for stuff. And I remember it's like the first time I was like tithing and I was like, oh, this is so much faith. And I remember thinking, yo, I can't wait till I'm a mature Christian and I don't have to worry about this faith stuff anymore because I'll just be able to tithe. And then you get to that point, you start getting comfortable and God says, hey, there's, there's another faith step for you. And you're like, I thought... Because that's what I thought. I thought when you're young, then you have to have lots of faith. But when you mature, then you graduate from needing faith because you've got so much confidence. But what this says is we never graduate from faith. We only ever grow in the quality and quantity of our faith. It's from faith to faith. The just live by faith. So faith is the whole deal, and we're a part of the Christian faith. We are believers in Jesus. So what is faith, and how does it come, and how does it grow? That's what today's sermon is about. Hebrews 11 verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith adds substance to things hoped for. We all hope for a lot of things. Some of them are, you know, like, like skiing holidays. I hope to shoot more fish in my lifetime. Some people hope to be taller. And if you're still growing, that's reasonable at my age. It's not Maybe you hope to get a promotion, or you hope to get married, you hope to have kids, you hope to travel, you hope to live a certain type of life. There's lots of faith, I mean, lots of hope that you can have, but not all of that hope has substance. In fact, some hope shouldn't have substance. So I remember for a long time, I got married at 30, so, and for a long time, I hoped that I would get married. I hoped, I hoped that she would be beautiful. I hoped that God, mostly I hoped that God would speak to me about her. That was my greatest hope. I wanted to hear God's heart. I wanted to, to have a God story in that area of my life. I, I hoped that he had someone planned for me. But that hope didn't have a lot of substance in a sense because I knew that the Bible doesn't promise marriage for every believer. Now, some of you are about to get up and walk out the door. You're like, ours, mostly ours, yeah. Um, but uh, the Bible doesn't promise marriage for every believer. In fact, the Bible teaches quite plainly that for some believers, there's a lifelong gift and call to singleness. Some people are laughing. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a gift. You've got to have faith to receive it. 
as a gift. But the Bible's very clear about that. And so I knew that I can hope for this, but I can't really have faith like this is going to happen. And so this hope persisted, and I used to speak to God about it. But I remember because I'd been living in Israel for, for a few years, and when I moved back to Durban, I just knew... Like, you know how Christians say, I just knew, I just knew something was changing in my heart, and I really just felt that God was preparing me for marriage. I had this sense or this feeling that something was different for me. You see, suddenly God was starting to speak, and now uh, God was adding faith to my hope. He was adding substance to my hope, because before it didn't have substance, it was just a hope, but now suddenly faith was coming, and the substance was being added to my hope, and yet nothing had changed. I was still single. Which brings me to the second part of this verse. It's the evidence of things not seen. You see, everything we know in this world is through the five senses and through logic. Through what we see and can touch and hear and smell and taste. It's the basis of science, observable and replicable data. If you can observe something, then you know it's true. And so even in our courts, it's like, well, you might not have seen it. So maybe like there's evidence there, you know, there's a, like a knife at the scene of the crime, and then they look there very closely, and they can see DNA. I don't know how, but they just look, and they can see it, and then they can match it to someone's. Someone could probably explain this better than me. Um, but there's evidence there that you can see, or someone else has seen the crime, and so that's, how, that's what we consider evidence in the world. And yet the Bible says that faith is the evidence of things unseen. So in this world, people say something like this, seeing is believing. And the Bible says, actually, seeing isn't believing, because if you can see it, you don't need to believe in it. It's just there. And so people will say, well, what I can see or what I can hear or smell or taste or touch, that's the evidence of reality. And the Bible says, no, faith is the evidence of an unseen reality. Faith allows us to see what cannot be seen, allows us to experience what cannot be understood or fathomed apart from faith because there's an understanding, a realm of possibility and a realm of existence and reality beyond what we can see, taste, touch, hear, smell. I think those are the five senses. And so God goes, people often say, say this, you know, when God, then I. In other words, let me give you an example. Uh, people say, I really believe God provides, and when He gives me an increase, then I'm going to tithe, because then I've got faith that He provides. That's not called faith. That's called budgeting. <laughs> faith is, I'm going to start tithing before the money comes. If the money comes first, now there's something I physically, tangibly can see is different, and on the basis of what I can see, I make a decision. It's called budgeting, not faith. I remember having this argument with God. God, heal me, and I'll believe you can heal. And he said to me, that's not faith. Believe, and you'll be healed. I was like, ah. You know, it's like, and God's got more time than we do, obviously. <laughs> I was stuck. And the Bible says faith is the evidence of an unseen reality. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 10. That is what the Scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those that love him. Those are the normal ways that people find out about something. They can see it, they can hear it, their minds can imagine it or think about it. But it was to us that God revealed these things by His Spirit. And so there's this another mechanism where God reveals unseen realities. It's by His Spirit. It's a sixth sense, His Spirit to our spirit. And in that moment, faith begins to blossom and faith begins to grow. 
Which brings me my story, back to my story of when I moved back to Durban. I had had this hope all along, all these years, that I was going to get married. But something, suddenly something was changing inside of me. And I believe God was preparing my heart for marriage. God was speaking. And you know what? I couldn't see it or hear it or touch it or taste it or smell it at that point. But I just knew it because faith was starting to emerge in my heart. And then suddenly God started speaking to me very clearly. And he said, your season of singleness is over. You're going to know who your wife is soon. And suddenly faith was growing. There was a sense of certainty. Why? Because there was this evidence of this unseen thing. And yet nothing had changed in my life. And then at the right time, God imported me a wife from New Zealand. KiwiBrides.com. It's awesome. I'm joking. It's not a real thing. It's not a real thing. I actually made that joke a few years ago, and someone went to Osteros if that's really how we met. It's not true. But here, here's how this, this thing was. You know. Gary was as single as single can be. I'd been single for 11 years. That's a dry spell by anyone's standards. <laughs> but God planned a wife for him and imported her from the other side of the planet. And you know, the skeptic may say, Hey, you had been gallivanting in the Middle East for a few years, and when you moved back to Durban, you just wanted to put down roots, and so you just, you know, picked the first Christian hottie that you could find. And I will admit that it was easier to hear God, you know, sometimes it's easier to hear God at certain times than others, and the fact that she was hot made it easier. Um, <laughs> sometimes you're just like, yes, Lord, amen, now I'll be obedient. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thank you. You know, that's what the skeptic would say. You, you just, you know, you got to that stage of life where people want to get married, and that's why it felt like something was changing for you. And then you just, you know, started dating, you found someone. And, and I would reply, well, actually, when started, things started to, to simmer with Therese and started to get going, I really had two questions for God. You know, like in the dating process, you've got questions. I had two very specific questions for God, and God answered both of them through other people without me even speaking to other people, speaking to God about it, miraculously in the space of one week, and at the end of the week, I knew I was going to marry her. To which the skeptic would say, ah, chance. Even a broken clock is right twice in a day. And to which I'd say, actually, well, when we got married, God told me to propose and told me to plan a wedding, but I had no finances to do it, you know, and God provided miraculously, and we paid for everything cash. To which the skeptic would say, well, you're in a generous community, and you're a pastor, People feel sorry for you. You looked at them with your pastor eyes. You, you see, here's the point. is that the, To the skeptic, there's nothing I could tell them that could convince them. Because it takes faith to understand a story about faith. Which is why people saw Jesus saw him teach and preach, and they said, we've never seen a man teach and preach like this. Never. They saw him heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons and perform unusual miracles where he multiplied food and saw him die on a cross, all in fulfillment of ancient prophecies that had been penned in ancient scroll a thousand years before and were still unconvinced. It's why the same people could look at the same observable data, what they could actually see with their eyes and hear with their ears. And some said, this is the son of the living God. And others said he was a rabbi, a good man. And others said he was demon-possessed and a madman. 
Because if you don't have faith to witness a story of faith, you can't see the reality of what's going on. Because faith is the evidence of things unseen. Hebrews 4, 2-3, for this good news, that's the gospel, that God has prepared this rest, and that's what happens for us in the gospel. We can rest in what is done for us. Has been announced to us just as it was to them, but it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter into that rest. Here's the thing. Jesus Christ died for every single person, and that rest is available for every single person, but it's only through faith that you enter into it. Because it takes faith to enter and to participate into things unseen, and this rest is a thing unseen that's experienced on the inside, but I can't give you any scientific proof that it exists. You see, the people of Jesus' day, all of them, all of them were hoping for a Messiah. But to some, faith added substance to their hope and resulted in a changed life. And to others, they completely missed what was happening. And this cycle plays out again and again and again in the Christian life. We have this hope that lives in our hearts. And then through a process that hope gains substance, which gains faith. Maybe we hear a sermon or we read something in the Bible and suddenly faith is getting involved. And then we act on that faith and it becomes rock-solid evidence to us. And it grows. Again, let me use an example of finances. Anyone here hope for the following things, that there's a Father in heaven that will provide for you, that you don't have to live your financial journey alone, and that actually God wants you to live absolutely stress-free of any financial worry? Anyone have that hope? Everyone. Some of you are like, nah, I don't mind stress. I don't believe you. So we all have that hope, but then at some point you read the Bible, or at some point you hear a sermon, or at some point you hear someone else's story, or maybe you're reading the Bible one day and you hear about Jehovah Jireh, the God who says, I am the God that provides for you. And you're going, really? You called yourself that? What do you call me? The God who provides. What's my name? The God who provides. Why? Because I provide. Duh. (laughs) And he asks us to trust in his circuit, in, in who he is, and then you hear your friend's story of how they started tithing and God came through for you. And all of a sudden you're getting this faith and you're like nervous. Don't tell me it's like all easy. It's like, oh, it's this nervous and there's this thing. And then at some point you take your finances and you take this act of faith and you see God comes through for you and suddenly there's evidence and you, this faith is gaining substance and you, you, you get to live life from a different place and take greater and greater faith steps. You see, faith allows us to see things, to live things, to experience things that cannot be seen, that defy logic. Because we know these things through the Spirit. So how does faith come? Point number one, faith is a gift. Ephesians 2 verse 8, God saved you by His grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Faith, if you have any, is a gift from God. I don't know about you, but that's really encouraging for me. Because I used to place so much pressure on myself to get faith. Now, I've got to have more faith. But faith's a gift. And if it comes from Him, and it's not the product of me, well, what comes from God is indestructible, but what comes from me can be eroded. So isn't it amazing that God gives us a gift of faith? Second point, faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. Romans 10 verse 17, so faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. And there are principally three places that we hear the good news about Jesus. The Bible, 
That's why we encourage people, read your Bibles. It's full of good news about who Jesus is. The preaching of the Word, why we preach every Sunday. And sharing testimony when you hear about other people's stories. And through this mechanism, the Holy Spirit takes the truth of those things and makes them alive to you, and faith grows. You know, sometimes anyone here facing circumstances, you're like, I don't know if I have the faith for that. I've got good news for you. Faith comes by hearing the Word of Christ. Expose yourself to the Bible. Expose yourself to teaching. Expose yourself to other people who've seen God come through for them, and faith will come. Third point, faith is purified. 1 Peter 1.7, these trials, the difficult things people go through, will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. The difficulty, everyone in this world goes through difficult things. When we go through difficult things, it purifies our faith because God isn't only interested in the quantity of your faith, but the quality of it too. How is gold purified? Fire. You're like, oh, stop preaching, pastor. Fire. You take the gold and you put it into a furnace. And in that moment, the, the dross, which is the impurities in the gold, gets burnt away, but the gold remains. And here's the thing. The things that are in, in trials, when we go through them with God, the things that are impure in our life get burnt away, but our faith suffers no damage. The gold isn't damaged by the fire. The gold's made stronger by the fire. But the stuff that's not right, the stuff that the dross, the stuff that's watering down the purity of our faith, that stuff gets burnt off. Let me explain from my own story. I've shared here a number of times that as a Christian, as a born-again, believing Christian, I struggled for 10 years with depression, and God set me free. Now, I want to say a few things. Number one, God didn't send depression to my life. He didn't have to send trial. I think there were trials in my life because of stuff I'd been through and kind of who I am and some other stuff that, that, that resulted in this struggle for me. So God didn't have to like pick, handpick depression for me to be my trial. It just was my trial, and he used it. Secondly, I don't know if it had to take 10 years. I don't think it did. But you know what? My faith didn't suffer through that. But there are plenty of other things, dross, impurities in my life that were burnt away. See, there were many times during the 10 years that I wondered, that even at the beginning, I remember when I went and got diagnosed with depression, immediately my heart said, I believe God's going to heal me. I believe it. I, I don't know why. I just do. And there were plenty of times in those 10 years where, you know, after struggling for one year, after two years, after three years, after four years, saying, God, is this ever going to change? Five years, six years, God, where are you? I thought, and then at some point you have these thoughts, well, maybe this is just how my life's going to be. Because science would say, this is, I've got a genetic predisposition to this, and I've just got to manage this. This is my lot in life. But still there was this faith in my heart, I believe God's going to heal me. Year seven, God, where are you? God, is this what you've got for me? Year eight, I don't know why, I still find myself believing that God's going to heal me. There were plenty of times when I could have given up on faith, but you know what, for the life of me, and there were times I wanted to because keeping on believing that God was going to set me free felt difficult because I kept on feeling let down. But you know what, I could not 
for the life of me, give up the belief that God was going to heal me. Why? Because God had faith, deposited faith in my heart. And though I went through a trial, the faith wasn't burnt up. The impurities were. And I could not shake the stubborn belief that God was going to heal me. And then one day, I went to go see a man, and I told him some of my story and some of where I was at. And he opened up this Bible to me, and he started telling me the gospel of Jesus Christ, bearing in mind that I had a theology degree from a university on the Bible, and I'd preached it for 10 years. And he started telling me about Jesus, a Jesus who paid for my sins in full. And he said, you know, Gary, if you struggle with these things for the rest of your life, God will still love you. And even if you struggle with the sins that you're currently struggling with for the rest of your life, God's still going to love you. He's paid for you. He's chosen you. And he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to me. And in that moment, faith started to burn up, build in my heart. Not just faith that one day I could be healed, but faith that God loved me right now, despite my struggles, despite who I was. You see, when I read this book, I didn't read it with the faith of what Jesus Christ had done for me. I read it as a rule book to see how well I was doing at living for Him. My faith was in my performance for Him, not what He had done for me. And because my faith wasn't in Jesus, but in myself, it did no good for me. Second thing, my faith was in my ability to understand. You see, I'm quite an academic, intellectual person. And I just thought, you know, this will be like anything else in my life. If I just apply myself, if I just read enough, if I just think enough, I'm going to be free because my ability to be free is dependent on my ability to understand. And eventually I got to the point where I realized, man, two things. Number one, if this depends on my performance, I'm sunk because I'm not getting any better. In fact, I'm getting worse. And every time I read this book, I feel more and more guilty and more and more depressed. And number two, if this depends on my ability to understand, I'm sunk because I've been trying for 10 years and I'm not getting anywhere. And all of a sudden, I came to the end of myself. And that dross, that imperfection in my life started to be burnt up as I gave up on myself, that I can embrace Jesus. Some of you and some of us, we hear the word of Christ and we hear the word of God, but we don't really fully grasp that Jesus Christ died for our sins, all of them, past, present, future. That you are loved in Him. That you were so loved in Him that He's willingly sent His Son to die on a cross for you. And I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what mistakes you've made. Jesus Christ loves you. And that's never going to change. And at some point, I just had to say, thanks. Just thanks. And faith started to build. And I started to have a lens and a view on myself. If that's how Jesus sees me, maybe I can see me that way. And faith started to build. And I remember going through these different uh, uh, faith fights where God just brought breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough because all of a sudden I understood, man, this isn't on my performance. This is what Jesus Christ has done for me. And I'm not going to speak. I'm not going to tell uh, God about my problems. I'm going to speak to my problems about God. This is who Jesus is for you. 
And God started to set me free. Which brings me to my last point. What do we do in this journey? And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. You see, sometimes when we talk about faith, faith can seem like hard work, like I've got to have faith. How do we do this? How do we run this race with endurance? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. That's what God wants from you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Just keep looking at Jesus. Jesus, you're the best part of my day. Every day I get to get up and I get to be with you. I get to come and spend time in your presence. I get to open your word and read the truths of who you are and who you say I am. I get to be alone with you. I just love being in your presence, Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Look here, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. You didn't start your faith journey, and you won't perfect your faith journey. Jesus Christ is doing it in you. All you have to do is look at him. And he does it just by the bar. Isn't that amazing? You don't have to walk out of here and go, I need more faith. You just got to go, Jesus, I love you. I can't believe you love me so much that you die on a cross for me. Let's just hang out. Let's just be with you. I love being in your presence. And as you do that, he builds faith. Faith comes. Faith is a gift, and faith is purified. He initiates it, and he perfects it. All you've got to do is hang out with him and pursue him. Let's pray. I just want to give anyone an opportunity. Maybe you've been sitting here, and you... You've never given your life to Jesus Christ, and in this moment you realize, man, for me, faith is coming, and I actually believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on a cross for my sins, and I believe that he rose from the dead. And if this evening you want to give your life to Jesus and say, God, I want to place my faith in you, if that's you, can you just raise your hand? Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, if you want to give your life to Jesus tonight and place your faith in him, just raise your hand. This is not going to make sense. Thank you. Because this isn't evidence of things seen. This is evidence of things unseen. I just want to pray a quick prayer to those people. And if you're one of those people, you can just pray this prayer in your own heart. Lord Jesus, tonight I choose to give you my life. I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the dead. I ask you to forgive me. And I turn away from my sin and I choose to follow you. Come into my life. And Father God, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you, God, that faith is an extraordinary gift. And that you're our champion who initiates our faith and perfects our faith. We love you, Jesus. God, I just pray that we would fall more in love with Jesus every day. And we fix our eyes on him and the beauty of who he is. And that in the process, God, you just bolt faith onto our lives in all sorts of surprising ways. In Jesus' name, amen.